0: Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet, a betting site with a difference. Not only are we offering the best available odds on a United win, we've also got exclusive special bets created by Reds. And as we share half our net profits with the United supporters community, no matter what, the fans can always end up winning. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet, about fans, by fans, for fans. Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast, I'm Andy Mitten and I'm sat in the Trafford Centre in a seat where I interviewed Mike Phelan for a podcast a couple of months ago. Mike has now gone off to Australia after the experience of speaking to me, so I hope the lad I'm t- sat with now doesn't feel like the need to go to the other side of the world either. I'm with Ben Forney Benjamin Forney I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call him Benjamin, but he calls me Andrew, so I'm going to call him Benjamin. We did a podcast in Barbados five years ago look at us name dropping Barbados it was a trip for veterans football uh, the legends football and we had a really good chat then uh, Ben and I but we also had David Thompson the former Liverpool player and someone else Steve Watson Steve Watson he's a character yeah he's a character and they didn't realise we were having a really serious and at times quite a traumatic interview because Ben's career um, didn't end up how he hoped it would have done, and just as Ben was basically about to break down and tell me about his fucking life coming to an end with this career, Steve Watson was like flicking peanuts at his head. <laughs> he had no idea what was going yeah, on. He was,
1: he was, and David Thompson turning around saying, "Well, he was shit anyway, so it would not <laughs> It wouldn't have made the slightest bit of difference, how traumatic it was going to be for me and how emotional it was because they turned it into a, a real good uh, a real good podcast and a real good load of banter. And I was lucky actually that, that you know, and I am lucky that the times when I do go away, uh, I have these lads that invariably are from, are from the, you know the other side of the East Lancs to us. And our bitterish rivals, who, who we actually get on with as Man United players, the best out of the lot. So, uh, so yeah, there are always good times when we go away, and you know we have a little bit of a needle when we're actually playing the games, but
0: off the field we all get on extremely well. Well, thanks for joining us, Ben. It's it's great to be talking to you. And the banter in football, it can be absolutely brutal sometimes. I mean, he's saying to you, "You were shit. You were ever going to make it yeah anywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> it yeah. And, and you know what?
1: It. it, it it, it's the one thing Andrew
0: that you miss yeah. it's
1: the one thing that you miss when you actually finish playing football you ask any footballer that as brutal as as, as being in a dressing room can be you, you almost it almost becomes second nature to you to expect it and, uh, and I, I go on a lot of trips with David May and uh, I've just come back from from, uh, from doing something uh, with a team over in Malta for their 60th anniversary which is going to be next year the oldest supporters club in the world great bunch of people and unfortunately because of david may who hosts his uh, his annual golf day the first friday in every september he couldn't make it and i rang him up to tell him what a brilliant trip that he'd missed although i understood why he missed it and i said the one thing that i really missed was david may not calling me a fat twat every five minutes it was something that, uh, that I, I've come to expect. And I think that when I, I am with Maisie, if he doesn't do that, then there's actually something wrong with our relationship. And it's just things like that, that even though you know, you, you, other people from the outside listening will be thinking, no, he shouldn't be saying that, it's a bit cruel. It, it's something I've come to expect and enjoy because the camaraderie of a football dressing room, when you do actually meet up with footballers, never, ever goes away. And a lot of them really really miss it a lot of them really miss it the thing that they miss the most because they realize they can't go on playing forever but they've all still got sense of humors and they, and and it is that walking into a dressing room wondering what you're going to expect on a daily basis from whoever uh, it is something that um that will live with you for a long time and something that you do very much miss
0: we could easily fill a podcast with anecdotes about david may and i can see why he was such a good influence in the dressing room same with Anderson, the Brazilian. I've sort of learned after the things he did and what they brought to the dressing room. I mean, with Meg, and I know David well, like you do, I've done sportsman's dinners with him where I've, I've been the host, and I've had to side up to him mid-speech and just say, just wind it in a bit. Because like, <laughs> he's effing and blinded. Yeah, he doesn't. And I just say, just calm down a bit. And then two years ago... We have got invited to go to uh, Bilbao as part of Athletic Club's foundation. It's a great football club. And I'm flying to Bilbao, me and him. And I'm just, I just can't believe some of the things that I'm hearing. I'm not even going to repeat them, but it can be absolutely brutal. I know lads who played as young lads at Manchester United, a year or two younger than you. And they were exposed to, the some of them, the Barry Bennell stuff. So it's heavy, serious stuff. I want to said to the other one, well, he would to try to bum you anyway because you're an ugly bastard. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> this is just... <laughs> that, that is amazing,
1: absolutely. No, he didn't say that, it or was it, someone else. Or was it yeah. someone else? But it, it would be something that he would come out and say yeah. because he has absolutely no filter. Yeah. But if there is somebody that you want with you where you're feeling a little bit sort of underwhelmed and you, you're not really... You're not really sure... What the room is bringing, what the atmosphere is bringing, Maisie will put that straight straight away. Yeah. He'll put it right straight away because he doesn't care. It, wh- whenever he is there, he, without actually being, without actually like showing off or anything like that, he's the centre of attention and he brings the house down. He's absolutely brilliant. He'll break the ice. He will make people laugh. He'll make people feel comfortable, and that is. Uh, and with with all his with all his effing and blinding, and with all his sort of like non-filtration, that is something that is is priceless to have in your in your in your locker. Somebody that just can 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 make a room listen to him, and and instantaneously make people laugh.
0: Jordi Cruyff moved to Manchester. He was homesick, he missed Barcelona, he missed his family. He was a bit sulky and he'd admit that and he'd go in the dressing room in the morning and David May would walk in and go, Dos San Miguel, you Dago bastard. I mean, <laughs> so politically incorrect. And Jordi Cruyff's having to look up the word Dago, which is an offensive term and it was, <laughs> it, it was used more in the 60s and less politically correct times. But if you ask Jordi Cruyff now about David May? He loves him absolutely.
1: Well, you can't not because he, he he doesn't he doesn't do anything with a with an intent on being cruel. Yeah. It's just his way of making people feel relaxed and saying, you know, this is me. You either get on board with it and you have a laugh with me, because if you don't, you will you will crumble because
0: I, I'm not going to let up. I've this is what I him, like. So David, right? You know what you said to Croix. Well, one, he'd consider himself Catalan and not Spanish. Two, San Miguel is not the beer you would drink in Barcelona anyway. And he just cuts me short. Just stop boring me. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to talk about you. What are you doing now? Um, well, I'm... Um, first and foremost,
1: I, I, I do quite a lot of work with MUTV. Um... It sort of started to pick up over the last few years, ever since I, I was invited back just to do the odd game uh, on a Saturday afternoon, let's say. Um, it then became more and more frequent with doing fir- um, commentary for the first team on a regular basis, not just at Old Trafford, but away from home as well. Um, other sh- uh, I, I commentate on the under-18s, under-23s. There are other shows during the week that uh, that I'm invited to take part in. Um, and I also work on, on match days doing, uh, doing match day hospitality which they actually invited me back to do that for the very first time was when Nani was sent off against Real Madrid when we were in complete control of the game uh, and then a very dubious decision uh, and that was, my, um, that, was my, that was my first game back and I've been there ever since and I absolutely love it and funnily enough we've just been speaking about Maisie and for all his, his non-stop chattering uh, he was given the opportunity to try it, and he hated it. He didn't like. Um, he didn't like the. He didn't. He couldn't beat himself yeah. with with punters in a in a yeah. hospitality box. You know, you've got to have a certain amount of decorum.
0: It's basically people coming up to you, who've had a few beers, saying, "I remember when you did this." And I reckon Maisie, part of him would just want to say, "Fuck off!" Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but you can't say that. No, no, you've absolutely. Got to, you've got to listen to people who've paid a lot of money of to course. watch Manchester Yeah, I mean? you
1: have, yeah, you have. And, and there's, no, there's no reason why you can't have... Not, I wouldn't say arguments, but sort of discussions with people if you, if you actually disagree with some of the things that they're saying. But you're exactly right, with Maisie, if he didn't like what somebody had said, he'd tell them on no uncertain terms. and uh, and, and it just wasn't for him. He couldn't be himself... Um, and if David May can't be himself then there's not worth having a David May because that is what makes him him and unique uh, and it was just something he, he didn't enjoy doing but it's something that I do enjoy doing uh, and, I'm, and I'm, I was glad for the
0: opportunity and I still am every time I go I see uh, fans coming up to players all the time and th- there's a lot, of, um, a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, a lot of positivity but it can be a trying experience I remember my father being in one of these boxes um, which was rare for him and bumping into Andy Cole and I told Andy that it was going to be in there and I just said you'll know when you've met him and my dad went up to him and said I'm Andy's dad um, and they had a nice chat he said this is absolutely shit put your fucking boots on and get back out there now and Cole is like yeah but it's the best game of the season it was a 4-3 game it's Newcastle it's a great game f- it's shit son it's absolutely <laughs> shit and I'm going home and he went home at half time Cole just texted and said your old man is off his box (laughs) (laughs) you've got people coming out like that to you all the time you've also got a book coming out you've got your autobiography coming out don't be shy to plug it what dates it out what's it called and why did you do a book
1: (laughs) right um, to answer them in chronological order for what you just asked me it's out on the 15th of October Um, the book is entitled Tackled and obviously for those people that, that followed me when we were you know we were the class of ninety-two and, and, and what happened to me when I was eighteen then they'll understand the the reason for the title. Um and I was contacted by somebody um who has ended ended up you know being my, my co-author, Dan Poole. Uh and he felt as though I had a story to tell. Um a different story, there's no question about that. It, it's not come and it's not gonna be and it hasn't been Um, written in the same angle that most other sporting biographies would be written because with all intents and purposes I I never made it at Man United Uh, and people will be saying well, you know why on earth would we want to read a book like that and that's exactly How many games did you play? Um, I think I only played about uh, I think I only made about I don't know between 16 and 20 appearances Uh, made my debut in 1994 at West Ham uh, just before um, I was due to play in the FA Cup semi-final against Oldham at Wembley, and it was just a couple of days before that that the manager suggested, Sir Alex, that I, uh, I hadn't played for ten days and that I should go out and play a reserve game uh, just to, you know, just to get myself some match practice for the Sunday game coming up. And this was on the Wednesday night, uh, and with about ten minutes to go after having a really good day, game, scoring a couple of goals, and uh, I, I, had a, I had a flag up at. 60 minutes, saying, you know, are you all right? Do you want to come off? And I didn't. I stayed on. I'm an 18-year-old kid. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm scoring a couple of goals, and you just don't see what is in front of you. And you know, it was the worst decision I ever made. I'll, I don't mind admitting it. Uh, but at the time, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You're not to know, um, and that was uh, that was when the injury occurred. So what happened next? Um, in that game. In the game. Uh, I think with about 15 minutes to go uh, I received the ball Just in the centre circle Uh, I was moving towards their goal And their right back Came towards me Who'd been marking me the whole game Um, And just as he Approached me I, I saw, I think it was Clayton Blackmore Running in the space that I'd vacated On the left hand side And just as I played the ball And then replanted my foot on the floor The tackle came so it was late Um, in my eyes it was reckless Um, and I think it was uh, it was just sheer frustration that the the guy who who actually committed the tackle had had basically just had enough Um, I I, I can't ever prove that he intended to do it but I I certainly know that for 70 odd minutes of that game I'd given him the run around, he was a seasoned professional Uh, he wasn't happy about an 18 year old kid sort of taking a mickey out of him and, uh, and I'm not suggesting for one second that he meant to injure me in the way that he did, but I definitely think that he wanted to leave a mark.
0: You say he? Why don't you say his name?
1: Oh, I suppose I can now. Um, it was um, it was Nicky Marker from from Blackburn Rovers. Um, all the all the legalities have, have been dealt with now. It, it's no uh, it, it's no secret as to as to who it was and when it was. Uh, it was a long time ago it's something that I, I will never forget about but I, I've certainly got over in, in, the ter- in terms of mentally um, I, it, it, it definitely curtailed what I may have been able to achieve as a professional footballer certainly at Manchester United uh, and going back to the book that is, um, that is for the most part what the book is about is all the people that I played with at the time You know, household names global names all over the world that, um, that have given their opinion of what sort of a player they thought I was and could have been had that injury not happened
0: Slightly different circumstances but some parallels, I, I interviewed Steve Koppel and his career was ended by a bad tackle um, playing for England against Hungary and five years later he was a manager and he came up against the guy who tackled him Joseph Roth if I'm not mistaken and he said, do you want to meet him? And Steve said, no. And they were in, they were in the same stadium. Mm-hmm. He said, it wasn't malicious, but I can't see how my life is going to be enhanced by me speaking to the guy who's ended my career. And Steve had to stop playing at 28. Mm-hmm. And, and he played 250 consecutive games for Manchester United. It's never going to happen again, that. Hey. And, and he, I, mean, I loved him when I was a kid.
1: I was just about to say the same thing. He, he, I mean, I've supported Manchester United ever since, you know, I can remember from being sort of five or six years old. Uh, remember Brian Robson coming to the club and Steve Copple for me was, um, even though I had aspirations of being a central midfielder like Brian Robson, Steve Koppel for me was was, uh, was one person that I loved. He had two great feet. He, he was a wonderful crosser of a ball. And like you said, he was an England international and when you hear stories like that, and I can completely concur, I mean, I, I had no choice. I actually, when I got back playing again, I did actually come up against Nicky Marker again uh, for, for Blackburn Rovers in another reserve team game. Uh, this time he was playing centre-half, and he, as far as I can remember, we never really crossed paths in the whole game, uh, and we certainly didn't, or I didn't, shake his hand when once the game was over. And that wasn't because... I, I I suppose maybe I did feel a little bit of a little bit of malice towards him at that time, but i i i I probably was in the same position as Steve Copple that i didn't feel as though going to him and and, and shaking his hand was something that I, I was ready to do and something that was uh, was actually going to help me overcome what he what he'd already done to me, so I thought the best way to to avoid him was by walking off the pitch, shaking everybody else's hand, and I'm sure he didn't want to shake mine either. And uh, and that was the last time I I, I saw him or, or heard anything about him.
0: You've never come across him, you never bumped into him in everyday life. No, because you know, there was some litigation, wasn't there? There was some litigation. Yeah, um,
1: I was fortunate on the night, if you can use the term fortunate for what happened to me, um, that there was um, there was a bit, vid- They were trialing video in the games. And also Sir Alex was in the stand. And because of the noise that the tackle made and Jeez. obviously the, the fact that, um, that I, I stayed down holding my knee and I knew it, it, initially there was something wrong and I'm sure that everybody else that was on the pitch and in the stands knew as well. I mean, I told you I picked the ball up in the centre circle and I was running towards the goal. Gary Walsh, who was the goalkeeper at the time, stood on the edge of our area, 70 or 80 yards away. He heard it. So he and and he knew that that wasn't the sound of a shin pad. What
0: was it a sound of? What was it, what happened? It what was just
1: it was a it was a snap of my um, my uh, anterior cruciate ligament, as well as many other things that you would probably have to speak to my surgeon, Jonathan Noble about. Um, he was the one who repaired it, and the way he described it was when he actually sliced my knee open. If you can imagine putting a book on its spine and just watching all the pages fall and fan out he said that's exactly what my my needed and and ironically he said the actual um the the devastation of the injury of how everything was just completely snapped helped him because he could start from scratch to sew me back up again whereas there are some times where you have to get in between the fibres he said yours was actually an easy operation but he said it was by far in the top three in all the times he'd been, he'd been repairing knees uh, that, he'd, that he'd ever seen in terms of how bad it was
0: that would have ended your career had it happened in the 1980s I mean Coppel's was a crucial injury yeah you did come back, you, you were a professional footballer, you played for Huddersfield Town, you played for Aberdeen, these, these are not village football clubs, They're not, it's not Manchester United. You did have a career Yes I did I did It, um, it obviously
1: And this is no disrespect to Huddersfield Or, or, um, or Aberdeen uh, Or any, indeed anywhere else that I played But it wasn't where I well, It certainly wasn't where I wanted it to be uh, and, it, and it certainly isn't where I felt it, it could have been
0: Did you enjoy playing there Or was there always something in the back of your mind Thinking what if I think when I was still at Old Trafford uh, for the for the sort of three
1: or four years or let's say the three years after that because I, I needed a year to, to get myself right there's no question after it happened in 94 I stayed at Old Trafford until I was 98 and I've, and I've mentioned in my book that um, I, I felt as though after I'd been on loan to Huddersfield under Brian Horton in, in the 95-96 season where I was really successful, and and it, it got me recognised. And, I, and And I played for the under twenty ones on the strength of it in the Toulon tournament that summer. So I knew that there was an element of me that was starting to to come back to what maybe not Manchester United standard, but certainly to a to a standard where I I could have earned a, a really good living out of the game. Um, and at the end of that season when Huddersfield came to Sir Alex and said, we want to buy him, he's done really well for us. Are you prepared to let him go? Um, he said to me that he wanted me to stay. Uh, and and perhaps maybe price me a little bit out of what Huddersfield could afford. Uh, at that time, and like I said, I did mention it in the book, I wanted to I wanted to go. But because when you're sat in front of the great man and he tells you that he wants you to stay, you don't want to, at like 20 years of age, you don't want to be, uh, be disagreeing with him.
0: But, and there's a big but, I've spoke to lots of players who've been in similar situations. Crew have come in for him and offered 70 grand and he said, no, I'm not selling you. He's like, OK, well, play me then players want to play football yeah absolutely Uh,
1: and that was probably where to answer your original question that that was probably where mentally I started to to lose it a bit being at Manchester United it's the biggest club in the world and I know that sounds like a bit of an anomaly but it is the biggest club in the world but if you're not playing you just touched on it and you're only playing reserve team football when you see all the lads who have You've grown up with that you were on a level with and on par with, and and you knew that you were going to be given the same chance they had. I knew that that chance for me on a regular basis had gone.
0: What had changed? Did you lose pace?
1: Yeah, I think. Physically, I think it? I think there was um I think there was a, there was definitely a change in me in, in me physically because I. Uh, in the time that I'd been out injured there was there started to become a weight issue which I had never ever had Uh, I had to and to this day I still have to you know I still have to 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 work quite hard to make sure that I I, you know I, I don't get to a stage where I can't move around a football field anymore even though I'm 43 and it's not important uh, mentally for me it is important because it's something that I'd taken great pride on for the, for the whole of my working career and I don't just want to let it go and and and, and fester and, and you know end up being you know 15 16 stone and not being able to move you know I like to try and look after myself but there certainly was a weight issue uh, which again and because of of the the the, the, um, the sort of the extent of the injury it definitely did. Take something from my game, which I relied on. You know, I relied on. Uh, I mean, I, I was never. I, you know, I'm not saying I was in a, in a ten and a half second hundred meter sprinter, but I could move, and, I, and not only that, but I could go both ways. I, I was. I, I could. It didn't bother me. I played on the left hand side, but I was equally comfortable with my left or my right foot, and that was something that other players at the club didn't have. Keith Gillespie, were, arguably, was was quicker than me, but. He used to knock the ball, and he was gone, and he was after it, and he he was so quick that he could he could get past the fullback and do it that way. I used to beat my fullback with moving left to right. Um, David Ginola was my not I wouldn't say he's my hero, but he was somebody that I aspired to be. I used to love the way he played. He had two great feet. And he was somebody that I always looked up to as a as a professional footballer in the way that I would want to play the game. So that took an element of, of what I was good at away. And when you are talking fine lines between championship and top of the Premier League, something like that is it makes a huge difference. If five percent, it just makes a... absolute huge difference. Yeah, a huge difference. So I should have I should have been stronger. I. I I should have left at the end of the 95-96 season if the manager would have allowed me to do so. Um, But then I had another two years, obviously played a few more games, never never really felt as though I was ever going to be a 100% part of the manager's plans. I was always going to play bit parts, I was going to be in and out of the squad. And like you said at the start of that, Andrew, you want to play football. Um, and at the end of the 97-98 season, the manager realised that and I've still got... And the letter is in the book that he wrote to me, uh, which I, I, will, you know, I have still got and cherished. That, um, he, he thanked me for everything, that, for the person that I was at the club how sorry he was that, um, that the, the injury occurred and that any help that, I could, uh, that he could give me in the future, all he has to do was ask. And that was good enough for me. He let me go and I had three really good years at Huddersfield.
0: Describe your emotions seeing your former teammates and best friends in many cases going on to win everything, winning the treble. Yeah. Uh, was it envy? Was it jealousy? Was it pride? Was it a mixture I and how did your relationship with these lads change? Because financially, they were probably entering spheres which you weren't able to touch on. No, absolutely. Um, to answer your question, to start with that,
1: nothing but pride. Absolutely, no, no jealousy, no, no envy, nothing of that. At all. Okay, there might have been a slight bit of envy because. I knew there was a chance that I could have been there. But I always find that envy is not jealousy. Um, jealousy is a... It's a negative, it's a negative emotion. emotion. Exactly right. It's a negative emotion. And these lads, no matter what had happened to me, you, your Bexes, your Gary Neville's, your Butties, your Skulls's, uh Phil coming through a little bit later, they were all always going to be top, top players, despite what happened to me. And I have nothing but admiration, pride is uh, a really good word to use that I had the opportunity and the experience of growing up with these lads lads that um, that were brilliant in the dressing room brilliant to play with on the pitch as we so demonstrated by, by winning the youth cup for the first time in however many years and I always and, all, and, and did always support them even lads like Sav and Keith who left the club Nicky eventually went to Newcastle Phil to Everton they were always lads that I looked out for. Um, and I like to think, and, and this reflects in, in in the way that they've helped me with the book, that they thought just as much of me as I did and still do about all of them. Who was the biggest joker out of them lads? Um, believe it or not, the biggest joker was, uh, was a lad who played behind me, uh, a Salford lad um, called George Switzer. Um, he was a year older than me. He was the same age
0: as Giggsy. He was the impressionist. No, he,
1: he was a he was a, a real real character. We had another one actually. We had Steve Riley, uh, who then played behind me in, my, in in our second year of the youth cup. Um, who were real jokers. George was one of these people that if, them, if Sir Alex came down to the dressing room area, he would sort of hide behind a doorway, make sure somebody else was in the corridor, and shout, boss, at the top of his voice, <laughs> and he'd turn round and some poor unsuspecting bastard would be standing there looking at <laughs> looking at the manager thinking, what am I supposed to say here? But he was brilliant at that. But the manager did that. after a while. He became white and he, he just used to shout out, sweat, sir. Because uh, he knew it was him, but George was a character like that, and he was another one like Maisie that kept the dressing room banter going. Um, but even Sculzy, without having the same sort of outgoing nature as somebody like George or a Maisie, um, he would he would say things in the dressing room very dryly, very quietly. But they were like sort of dropping a you know a load of bread into Trafalgar Square with the pigeons, and they'd all come swarming. He, he, whatever he did scores it it always seems to be aimed at winding nicky up because Nicky was the easiest person to wind up in the dressing room. There's no two ways about it. Uh, and I can't think of anything specific and offhand. But it, I, I used to sit near him in the dressing room and he used to say stuff and and uh, and and Butty would be on his feet going, what was that? What are you saying, Skullsy? What are you saying? <laughs> and it was it was all it was always to get a reaction out of Nicky was was what it was aimed at. I mean Nicky's mellowed a hell of a lot, um, but he was a proper hothead when he was in the dressing
0: room as a kid. Was he the tough knot if you had the, Definitely. He, would he be the street?
1: Fighter, Absolutely, Nicky. yeah, 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 hard he, lad. He, yeah. Yeah, yeah, He was a he,
0: G- was an hard lad, do he was, but on the quiet, yeah, yeah, yeah you wouldn't but no, everything Ryan was like it, it it if I saw him like two years ago, I said just been to interview this lad you played with Ryan. He said, absolute bastard he was when I was a young lad. Stuff he could never say publicly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to put us pin us down on the, the massage table and boot balls with us. What a twat he was. You know, all off the record. Absolutely. But, but he was it, there's, there's, I think there's a brightness there. I think there's a humour there that doesn't always come across publicly with Ryan. No, but I do think he's a tough bastard as well. Very, yeah, very. There's no two ways about it.
1: That, that um, it does take a lot, and because of his demeanour, mm. um, you know. And again, he's another one that can keep a straight face, and he can be very dry, and you think he can be really serious when he's having a joke, and that, that takes some doing. And he's extremely good at that. But yeah, there are, there has been once or twice when I've. You know when I have seen him go, and uh, and yeah, you would not like to you won't like to cross swords with Ryan. There's no two ways about it. He might only be a, a wiry character, but uh, there's a there's an inner strength in there that if it comes out, you don't really want to mess with. And Nicky Nicky wore his sort of tough toughness more on his sleeve, uh, and he was definitely the, the you know the, the hard nut in our dressing room, and uh, and he and he took that out onto the pitch as well. He never took any messing on the pitch with us, and certainly when he went when he went on into his career, he might might not have been the you know the biggest, but um, he certainly puffed his chest out when he when he went out playing, and he, he a great lad, a great lad. Got on, always got on well with Nicky from when we played together as a, as a centre midfield partnership for Greater Manchester County, and he was um, he was a super player to play with, and he but he wasn't so great to play against. I can assure you
0: you were like a band of brothers weren't you going into battle together looking out for each other and Gary Nev what was he like in terms of his team spirit well he became he, he very very quickly got the
1: nickname Busy Yeah, uh, and funnily enough it was George that gave him that George Switzer but uh, Gaz was always one of these who, who uh, and you can see how it's Developed into into taking control in everything that he does, and not only taking control but succeeding and being exceptional at everything he does, and 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 studying the finer details. And that's how he started off when he came to Manchester United. He was um, obviously in our first year. He, 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 we had a, a, a group of lads of George's age or Ryan's age that were older than us, and we had a foreman that was Andy New. It was always going to be that if there was a chance of Eric Harrison changing the, 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 the foremanship over... Even after the first six weeks of being there, he was going to give it to Gaz, but it had to be with a second-year apprentice. But Gaz got it in the second year, and he just—he wanted to know the ins and outs of everything. He never stopped asking questions, and you know, him, Andrew. you know what he's like. He—he—he he, he, he doesn't let up, and if there's something that he's not happy with, he wants to know and he wants to know before he gets the answer. And he was brilliant, but he was a—he uh, was great for us because he was always the talker and he was a leader. And again, like Nicky, took what he had onto the pitch. Gaz did exactly the same. And him and Chris Casper forged a a really good relationship on and off the park. Uh, They never stopped talking. It was great when they had disagreements and the certain disagreements that, believe it or not, are still going on to this day from, like, 20 years ago, that I could just say a couple of words and they could be away again having a disagreement about being it. Me and Gaz
0: didn't speak for 14 years, yeah. so I know, I know exactly <laughs> where you're coming from. But I, I see him now and uh, I think he's, he's, he's more humorous than he oh, often comes across on television. He's, I, know he's, I know he's got a, a good thing going with Jamie Carragher, but he's a witty lad. Absolutely. It, I think what He's not all about this sort of shop steward. He's, no, he's no, a, not at all. Not there's at all. a humour there. He,
1: he, he is definitely... Uh, I'm not saying develops a sense of humour because we spent a lot of time together when we were when we were you know growing up teenagers myself him David Beckham um, Chris Casper Mark Rawlinson we played snooker with Robbie Savage with Keith Gillespie uh, they, we were always you know there was always some of us that were together doing something and Gaz is absolutely brilliant company when he is. In a real, when he's relaxed, when he's not got you know, things buzzing around his head which I realise these days are few and far between but even then it was always football, football, football and you could tell obviously from the career that he's had and from the way that he speaks about it so eloquently with Jamie Carragher there's also a little bit of camaraderie a little bit of fun in there because for me when, when United played against Liverpool you know, they don't seem Gary Neville is a red 8 scousers he doesn't alright he doesn't it, but because he had such a passion for Man United and a will to win obviously the team that everybody wanted to beat was Liverpool but again and I mentioned it when we first started talking about this now that we've all finished playing we all get on we all get on United and Liverpool it, 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 which is the you know the two biggest clubs that will will, will sell tickets to, for, for people out in the Far East for example When we all come together and we're off the field, we get on really well. And I think that he's taken that to a whole new level with Jamie Carragher. I think they're exceptionally good together. And he he is brilliant company when you catch him on the right day. No two ways about it.
0: David Beckham was another former teammate of yours. He didn't go on to do too badly, did he? (laughs) I saw him put a picture of your book cover on Instagram last week. I don't know how many followers he's, he's got on there, but... Uh, Last last I looked, it was 50.8 million. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, he just became... I can remember when I think he was at PSG and someone measured his profile and it was like, hire an AC Milan, one person. You know, he just became so, so big. He is. He's an
1: absolute megastar. Excuse me. He's a megastar. There's no two ways about it. And And I think that there are a number of ways that he's got to that. First and foremost, he was a superb footballer. Uh, and however that came about, whether people believe that it was the the goal at Wimbledon in '96 that catapulted him there, um, it, it, he he has other strings to his bow. Um, he's very, very, very sort of humanitarian or, or orientated, whereby he goes all over the world endorsing. Um, charitable foundations and, and doing so much for so many at the moment is in Australia supporting the Invictus Games so there's he is just such a, a global superstar, not just because of his football, but because of, of the way that he is and the way that he, he, he bends over backwards to help people, which is not something that everybody sees. You, you know, you see this extremely good looking lad still now who endorses all these products, and people say, oh, well, now he's finished playing football, he just does this and he earns all this money and blah, blah, blah. He's done that because of how hard he worked to, he was a footballer. He's very, very fortunate in the fact that he's an extremely good-looking guy.
0: Was he the best-looking lad of you when you were going out round town at 18? Yeah, I think that there was a,
1: there was a good few. I mean, John O'Kane used to get yeah. his, uh, his, his fair share of, uh, of female followers. Yeah. Um, so I mean, where, would you, where would you go to, Royale? At the time, I think it was, yeah, Discotheque Royale was the. Was on a the, Wednesday? Uh, on a Wednesday. Well, funnily enough. Love Train. I remember, yeah, Love Train hadn't started at that right. time, oh. but then it did get going. Uh, and then it actually moved to a club just down the road from where I bought, because I bought an apartment at the
0: Hacienda. Yeah, so it was uh, in the rich. And wasn't it? it was in
1: the rich, yeah, which was easy walking distance for me, so that wasn't a problem at all. I Used to enjoy that. So on a would Wednesday you all
0: night. go out all go out together when you were young? <laughs> we did, yeah.
1: yeah. We, we um, our favourite place to go, um, and it doesn't exist anymore, is on Dean's Gate. Was a place called J W Johnson's.
0: Yeah. That was like the first. Non-pub, I don't know, wine, jazz bar in Manchester with the the jazz club downstairs. It it all felt very continental in 1992, didn't it? It did, it did. I mean, I don't think we
1: went serve food in a pub. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think we didn't go there in '92, but certainly when we were when we we were eligible and we could go and have a drink somewhere, and, and 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 we did. On a, on a I wouldn't say a regular basis but certainly once a month we would do that on a Wednesday night and we'd go into J.W. Johnson's and funnily enough we were all actually there the night that Eric did his Kung Fu kick because that's where we heard about it when we were all in January there January
0: 95 yeah, so we, you're all in there were you drinking
1: could you drink Yeah, we could then yeah, because, because we were all in, in 95 we were all 20 but it's not about just whether on. you
0: could. You were professional footballers. Was yeah. that part of the culture? Well,
1: yeah, we, we um, uh, there was every chance as well that because at that time I seem to remember that reserve games were played on a Wednesday night. Right. So we we um, we knew that it was more than seventy-two hours before a Saturday game so we could still go out and have a few drinks and know that we, we had plenty of time to recover. That was what the manager's stipulation was. Did you get
0: recognised in Johnson's young lads? I think
1: once one or two of us had made our debuts, then it started to become that way, yeah. It did start to become that way.
0: But, was that a blessing and a curse? I'd imagine if a, a young model wants to come up and talk to you, then that's not entirely negative. No, but but, it can get overwhelming,
1: can't it? It can do, and I'm sure that after a while, certainly for those guys um, that I was out with, like Vex and like Gaz, that it did. And and that was when it started to wane a little bit, um, that they realised that there was there was more of a chance that there would be people out there yeah. that would start you know sending emails back to the club and they didn't want to be known as somebody that was seen out all the time but i, I you know we never thought that there was anything wrong in once a month a group of lads that have on so well organizing to you know to go out and have a few drinks and have something to eat and and, and enjoy an evening together because you know we'd all started getting girlfriends and it, it wasn't as it, it, it wasn't a, as often that we, would, we, would, we were doing things together. The only thing that we were really doing together was training and playing together. Um, the, the social side of it became less and less, but we didn't want it to completely disappear out of, our, out of our daily routines and our daily lives.
0: Where'd you grown up and were you a United fan as a kid?
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I was actually born uh, in the same ward as Gary, two months after him. Um, he was the 18th of February I was the 21st of April Fairfield Hospital in Bury uh, but then my dad who was a head teacher at the time took a job in Salford in Eccles uh, so I don't remember much of living where I lived in in Haywood it was um, I, I only ever remember moving into to, to the house that we had for uh, between 77 and 83 in, in Eccles uh, and that's where I grew up and that's where I, I started to to play football, and my mum's mum actually, who lived just around the corner, I used to run round, and uh, and my last recollection of her was watching the 1982 World Cup in Spain.
0: Robson, which, 27 seconds, which is when I spoke
1: to Brian Robson about my book, um, and we sat outside in the sunshine, and we had a, we had a, a, a beer together. Um, that was exactly what I said to him that it it was it was his goal that got me inspired to actually want to go out and be a professional footballer I'd already started kicking a ball but actually watching him do that and and I remember all and you'll you'll be the same you remember all uh, the confetti at the 1982 World Cup and Paolo Rossi and Brazil being knocked out Socrates Socrates Falcao Eder Zico it was just a fantastic world cup and still the one that sticks in my mind the most out of any of them
0: i think people have they always have their most formative world cup don't they my auntie had a video recorder we we didn't have one we couldn't afford one and they recorded that game and for years it just had england in bilbao and i would just watch it over and over again maybe the first five minutes yeah no real logic to it but uh, i don't know what I, i did last week but I you can, remember I doing talk that through
1: that Robson goal in the back absolutely yeah the throwing from yeah. one side and the cross coming in and him with the you know leaning on his side and volleying it in it was just and for me i, I just said i remember saying to me dad like you know who's that dad i i, I want to be like him and so he obviously you united knew.
0: fan
1: i was from then on in mm. when I, I realized that my, my interest in football was was going to start expanding uh, from just sort of kicking the ball and with my dad as a five or six year old in the street once I saw that World Cup as a seven-year-old then, that, and I saw Brian Robson, that was what I, I, I wanted to try and do. I had no idea that I would be any good at it. I had no idea that I was ever going to make a career out of it. But that was what interested me as a kid, and that was what I, I really wanted to do. And I, and I did everything that I could to... To, to work towards that. So there's two of you, you and your younger brother. And my sister. And your sister. Yeah, I've got a, a sister who's slightly younger still, yeah. uh, who has just emigrated to Brisbane. Right. Uh, August the fifteenth of this year, she she had a husband who came over about twelve years ago playing professional cricket, um, and they got together. Uh, they've had four children. They've got two girls and two twin boys and he has finally, well, he finally convinced her much against my mum's wishes, it has to be said, because she's grown up with, with these kids living just down the road and helping her out every day and speaking every day. Virtually best friends, my mum and my sister. So for her to up sticks and go, not to Spain, but to the other side of the world
0: uh, where... When you say that, but my brother-in-law has just moved to Brisbane. All right, And he's Brazilian and the same issues the parents are. Heartbroken, yes, Basically. absolutely, because yeah. to get from southern Brazil to Brisbane, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, you couldn't go further, oh. I don't think. Uh, no, it, 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 in the world, and then uh, Rod. Rod was a footballer as well, wasn't he? He was, yeah, yeah, my brother,
1: um, and obviously he gets plenty of mentions in the book as well. But uh, I mean, me and my brother were never. We we weren't. It was always me and my sister, or him and my sister. Me and my brother. When we were growing up, we weren't. I wouldn't say we were really close. What's the
0: age difference between um, you both? I was
1: April seventy five. My brother was August seventy seven. So it was like so two you, and a half years. So you close?
0: You close, close in terms, in terms of age. age?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it it, it just never materialised that we we actually became close uh, in in everyday lives. Funnily enough, we're as close now as we probably ever have been. We speak a lot more. Um, maybe I don't know whether that was. Uh, whether that's because my sister's gone, uh, mm-hmm. but it started to, to the, the closeness started to develop a, a, a lot, a lot sooner than that. Before me, we knew that my sister was going, uh, and obviously with him working at the club, uh, he's been at the club a long time, hasn't he? He's been there a he long, long, long time. Master, yeah, so. yeah, he's a masseur there, um, uh, and he was with the with the England team for quite a long time as well before under louis van haal's reign things changed and and he, he he had to he had to give that up much to his disappointment because that was something else that he really enjoyed doing and it was another financial arm as well for yeah, him yeah. um so yeah he, he's still there uh, i'm and sure he's still enjoying it and
0: i have a younger brother um similar of similar age to you the, the age difference is similar and my younger brother ended up playing up front with your younger brother. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. altering them. And I think they're completely different personalities. But I can remember seeing them both together. I mean, my, my brother never came through uh, any professional club. They called him the non-league gypsy because if he got offered a tenner more, he'd take his caravan and join any other club. So <laughs> he'd go from Ashton United to Radcliffe Forest. Someone says, I'll give you another tenner. So anyway, he ends up at Moss Lane playing up front with your kid and firing him into the conference national which is where well, Salford City are now exactly
1: and and i was uh, and I, and i do mention it because that was i mean I, I always took into consideration for my brother that as much as he liked football that um, that he he only got as far as semi pro he scored a lot of goals at semi-pro level. Don't get me he wrong. Was, your brother was a hero, Ultron. Yeah, absolutely. i and at Congleton Town, by the was way. He? Yeah, absolutely. I, and when I went back there, yeah, it was funny because I went back there in the latter stages of my career playing for Bay Cup Borough. Yeah. And I went to Congleton Town. Oh, you played under Brent. I played under Brent Peters. Yeah. And uh, and I went back there, and uh, and it was funny because they have, they had these these staunch Congleton Town fans and they, I think they were all brothers, or they were friends anyway, and they were three guys that were only really small, but had big bellies and what have you.
0: What, you saying at Congleton's
1: inbred? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he loved my brother, and when I went back there, and obviously I was playing against Congleton Town for Bake Up Borough, mm-hmm. I got some stick from them, I really did get some stick. Your fucking brother was better than you were, you were fucking rubbish well, At that and all level,
0: that. he was very effective. Absolutely. So we- you went to Bake Up with David May, and we've, we should mention Brent, because... Brent runs Baker Borough Football Club. Um, he just puts his whole life into that football club. Yeah. he's Mister Community and everything. Football is better for people like Brent, isn't it? They are. They are. He I... will drive the bus, coach the team, run the bath, grass, run the bar, yeah. clean the bath. Yeah.
1: It, it, I. I. I um, and you and David May ended up playing, playing there. Playing there. Yeah. I don't. I never just liked Brent. Uh, as for the, the reasons that you 've just mentioned and for what he did, I really, really admired him, yeah. because for somebody to to take a club and, and, and have it so close to your heart and do as much as you can, and, and you know he won 't mind me saying this where Bakup is situated it 's at the bottom of a slope of a mountain, and so many of their games every season were, were called off because the pitch was just unplayable, the, the water would, would come right off the mountain. Not a mountain, a yeah. hill anyway. And it would just accumulate on the pitch. An East Lancashire Pennine Hill band. Oh, you know. yeah, it was, yeah, it was. And it was a bloody cold one at that yeah. and all. But I love Brent uh, and he sold me the club and, and he was great with me. Um, and for, for and he and he gets a, men, a really good mention in my book as well because for people like that, and you've just said it, football, as a, as a small community like Bake Up is, they are so... Uh, they, they, they should, they consider themselves extremely lucky that they've got somebody like Brent Bacup that will mow the lawn, mow the grass and drive the bus and uh, he, he just puts his heart and soul into it and, and I still wish him all the best with that club because he, 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 they deserve to have better things for the amount of time and effort and sweat and blood and tears that he's put into it. We've
0: talked about some of your negatives at Manchester United, let's Tell us about some of the highlights. What was your greatest moment in a Manchester United shirt? Because um, you can't ask that question to so many people on this planet. No,
1: you can't. No, no. Well, First and foremost, you know, I, I, I consider myself very fortunate to, uh, to have been good enough to even be considered to play for Manchester United. Uh, but once I, I walked through the door uh, and I saw the group of lads that, that I was going to be playing alongside for, for however many years I was going to be there... Uh, winning winning the Youth Cup and and this isn't just me and, and it is a highlight because it's one of my very few highlights in my footballing career in terms of winning anything um, most of the other lads that we've already mentioned will say the same thing, that winning that FA Youth Cup was massive for them, uh, playing under Eddie Harrison, who is, you know we, we all know about his plight at the moment and uh, it's just terrible and, and and heartbreaking what's happened to him with his, with his with his dementia in recent years but playing under him helped us immensely it helped us grow up he helped us learn the game he helped us right the way through to when Sir Alex Ferguson and, and Brian Kidd at the time took control of us and Gary will tell you if there was ever, ever a time and he did it on, on numerous occasions if there was ever a time that things weren't going well for Gaz and he was playing in the first team or he had been playing in the first team and the manager left him out and Paul Parker would be in in instead Gaz would go to Eric and he wouldn't go and play in the reserves Gaz Gaz would go and he'd play in the A team he'd go and play with Eric he'd go and speak to Eric before the game after the game And it would just help to to lift... Speaking with Eric and having moments with Eric would just help to lift you. Because despite his reputation as being a tough nut, and he was, don't get me wrong, he didn't didn't stand any messy. Um, The first thing that he wanted Eric from you was he wanted honesty. And he realised that that he had a good group, but he also realised that there were other players that he had there, not just in our age group, but in the age group above, and even some of the young pros that were playing in the A team that weren't as talented. But if they gave everything, that was always going to be... That, that, I think, what, what was it that somebody said that I heard the other day, that um, that, that hard work would always beat talent if talent didn't work. And the, there's no truer statement than that in football, to be honest with you. Any manager would give anything, anybody that gave 100%, rather than somebody that had all the talent in the world and, and only brought it to the fore every so often. You need people that, that, that are honest, and that's all Eric asked. And, and that's what he made out of all those lads, and that's why they went on to have absolutely incredible careers.
0: Ben, it's been lovely to talk to you. I hope the book goes well. Remind us of the title of your autobiography. The book is entitled
1: Tackled, and it is out on Monday, the 15th of October.
0: I just imagine David May getting a copy and sending it to Nicky Marker.
1: <laughs> it's the sort
0: of thing that he probably would do, trust me. Thank you, Ben. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the latest United We Stand podcast, brought to you by Red Army Bets. We offer the best available odds on a United win, as well as a host of special bets created by Reds. With half our net profits being donated to United supporters groups, Red Army Bets is about fans, by fans, for fans. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app. Red Army Bet. We all follow United.